0: Your animal is not going to die if you don't feed them for a few hours or even for a day.
1: Well, the converse is even more important. Not only will they not die, if you fail, if you fail to implement a fasting protocol, you will prematurely cut short their life. Guaranteed, no question about They were designed to fast. And if you deny that from them because you think somehow they're hungry, you are going to prematurely kill them. Hi, it's Dr. Mercola, and we're delighted today to have the opportunity to interview Dr. Karen Becker, who, of course, is in charge of our pet site, uh, which I believe is still the most viewed pet site in the world, which is pretty amazing.
0: Is.
1: And uh, she's got some big missions, put together a big portion of her 2017, and uh, and, and really to provide some incredible information to uh, bring awareness to some really devastating issues to pets. So welcome and thank you for joining us, Karen.
2: Thank you. And in addition, I have asked Rodney Habib to join us. Um, and part of the reason that I wanted Rodney is Rodney was really kind of the the underlying reason why we decided to work on the dog cancer series documentary, why we decided to even make a, a dog cancer documentary in the first place. So Rodney was the one actually that asked me to join him in this amazing endeavor so thank you Rodney for joining us as well thank
0: you for having me and to you and Dr. Mercola big fans of you both of course
1: yeah for those who don't know Rodney has the biggest Facebook pet site in the world so it's a good combination so Rodney why did you decide to make this documentary
0: reality is my dog got sick
1: this is my first dog
0: and the love of my life Sammy I'll never forget that day about four years ago when her and I were just playing and I remember running my hands along her sides and feeling that lump, you know, that every pet owner finds and says, dear Lord, just let it be a fatty lump. On March 24th of 2014, all that hoping and praying didn't really work out as my dog was diagnosed with cancer, a spindle cell sarcoma on the side of her body. Um, I was your quintessential pet owner who did everything I thought was right, literally right by the book. All the foods that she ate were organic, hand cut by me. All the the meats and everything she uh, ate was ethically raised, grass fed. And no matter what I did, I couldn't stop the cancer, the tumor that was on the side of her from growing. Um, And that wasn't until I stumbled upon this, uh, this sanctuary that literally changed my entire life. It is so cool here. Keto Pet is uh, was formed about three years ago. So we have a 53-acre ranch in Texas. We realized that dogs with cancer uh, would, in shelters or rescues would either be euthanized because they're cancer, they couldn't adopt the dogs out, and veterinary care was too much. So the primary function of Keto Pet is pretty simple. We're here to advocate for dogs for whom there really is no advocacy, right? And what I mean by that is everyone has a pretty good understanding that when a dog's in a shelter, they're in jeopardy. If that dog has a visible lump, right, ergo a tumor, then they're on a very, very short list. For the dogs that really do have cancer, that changes the relationship because what we say at that point is, look, don't put the dog down. Let us intervene. Let us take care of the dog and we'll invest in that animal. To bring to bear the highest standard of health care that we can, uh, utilizing both uh, uh, traditional therapies and also nutritional intervention as well. So that's really the point of departure uh, for Keto pet.
2: Well, and I'll just chime in there, um, Dr. Marcola. One of the I, I have the same reasons for wanting to to join Rodney's mission in filming this documentary as he did, in that I see pet parents just like him who have done everything right. I've watched Rodney make his dog food. It takes an hour. He uses 14 ethically raised sources of meats. He adds in herbs. He adds in t- turmeric, organic turmeric. He adds in um, everything fresh, everything organic, everything unbelievable. He has minimally vaccinated. He's he has a chemical-free home, like the thousands of my other clients that are doing everything right. When you get that, when you think you're doing everything right, and you get a diagnosis of cancer, it changes you and it rocks your self-confidence to the core and you end up in a state of fear and you end up in a state of panic because you don't know what to do. So in my situation as the doctor in charge, uh, it's really difficult for me to then turn to our conventional standard of care options, which are to cut it out, burn it out, or poison it out and say, okay, you, we, this diagnosis has rocked both of our worlds. What are we going to do to aggressively address the cancer without toxifying our patient? And as you know, there aren't Great options. So I mm, was just at least
1: convention, conventional. Yeah, cor-
2: correct. Conventional options. And Dr. Mercola, I I think you've experienced this too, even in the integrative realm. Uh, with really aggressive cancers, I've had a very difficult time uh, with hematosarcoma where the average um, lifespan after diagnosis is less than three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you're using the most aggressive all-natural therapies, the cancer is progressing faster than the, we can wake the immune system and the innate defenses of the body up. So the biggest frustration is sometimes all of our natural tools were not enough to actually stop the most aggressive cancers. And I'm assuming that you have experienced this as well. So I was very interested in partnering with Rodney in order to achieve some of these interviews so we could gain insight. Rodney, of course, for his dog and myself for for my clients and my patients. Yeah, Yeah. yep.
1: So I'm curious. I mean, obviously you had some suspicions and concerns about the state of the conventional therapy for these, these diseases. But I'm wondering in your flying all over the world to interview some of the top experts if, you know what if you learned anything new or surprising
2: yeah well gosh i i'll speak for myself my life has changed my um my my how i approach cancer has radically changed forever and most importantly i have not only been given a bunch of tools that have dramatically improved my patient success just in the last eight months, but I am totally inspired by what I learned. And we'll talk more about that, but Rodney, what what was your takeaway from that?
0: I mean, for me, most definitely was seeing further than the bowl. If you're a raw food feeder or a well-researched pet parent, one of the most shocking things that you're going to find and what I found was the diet that I was feeding my dog was actually growing the cancer. You know, I stripped the sugars out of my dog's diet. And the thing is, is when you restrict the sugar from cancer it goes looking elsewhere. I was feeding my dog a high protein, high fat diet. And what did cancer do? It went looking for glutamine. Glutamine is the amino acid that's found inside protein. And it wasn't until I started to restrict my dog's calories and reduce the meat, the protein, till I actually started to see the tumor stop growing and start shrinking. Cancer has an ability to adapt. So if we start choking off the energy supply by cutting glucose out, well, that starts fermenting and uses amino acids, proteins, as an energy source, so it flip-flops. Some types of cancer love glutamine, the amino acid. Interestingly, just a little bit of glutamine will take you out of ketosis right away. And excess protein in our diet will also shift the liver to uh, produce more glucose in response to dietary
2: protein. Now, dogs are carnivores, so they need a lot of protein. But protein is used for growth and enhancing growth. And that's something that we don't want to stimulate when animals are fighting a neoplastic process, which is abnormal cell growth.
0: Protein is a terrible fuel source. Protein is a building block.
2: So so what we did, Dr. Mercola, was to look for the leading-edge researchers and scientists in the human realm, knowing that human medicine is about 20 years ahead of advanced, uh, the most advanced veterinary medicine. We really looked to the leaders in the human realm for who we were going to interview and research, and that's that's how we ended up picking our, our
1: interviewees. Who did you target this information for?
2: So for me I really wanted to get this information into the hands of veterinarians because none of us learned about this in veterinary school even those brand new grads that are that are graduating vet school this year were not taught about the not only the metabolic theory of cancer but implementing really aggressive nutritional strategies to help halt, reverse, or slow cancer not taught in veterinary schools. So my primary goal is to educate the veterinarians who will in turn, hopefully, put some of these ideas and concepts into practice to be able to help their patients. And what I've noticed is I just yesterday, I had four veterinarians email me and say, hey, um, we're so excited. Can, can, can you teach us more? We want to learn more. So the, the exciting part for me is uh, our goal of mass education through creating an awareness documentary is actually taking place, which is causing us to be insomniacs We're that excited.
1: Yeah. Excellent. Very good.
0: I would love your take and an explanation for the pet parents out there that have heard this word uh, ketosis and what it actually
1: means. Literally, when we're eating too many carbohydrates is virtually 70, 80, maybe 90% or more of the population is doing, and they're not being able to burn fat as a primary fuel. And when we lose this metabolic flexibility, we lose the ability to have our liver produce a water-soluble fat called ketones. And ketones are particularly useful uh, as a marker that you do have metabolic flexibility. And if you And most people— Watching this, my guess is certainly most people in the U.S., probably 95% of the people, have lost their flexibility and they cannot burn fat for fuel. And that means that they literally cannot go more of the, than a few hours, certainly more than a day without food, without feeling terrible misery. That's another clue. When you have metabolic flexibility, you can, with relative ease, go without food for three, four, five days or even longer and not feel that discomfort. It's, a, it's an enormous – a powerful tool to have under your belt, and it gives you um, this uh, really freedom. It's it's to me, it's a better marker of health than being able to run a marathon, is to have that ability. But but you know the that, the same tools, interestingly, can be used for pets. It's the same darn process. We're we're, we're, we're all mammals, and we have the same metabolic machinery. So uh, it works equally well for humans and for pets.
2: So my question to you, Dr. Mercola, uh, going down this path is you, so you learned about it and then you decided to write this book because people mm-hmm. didn't have, people didn't have the tools, uh, which is brilliant for, so in essence, you you wrote the book for the same reason that we created this documentary, mm-hmm. but you probably are are finding what we are finding that people without reading the information or watching the documentary, you end up doing it wrong. So one of the things that we have found is that people don't realize that it's not just eating as much fat as you want. And the second big issue is you can't continue your carbohydrate-rich diet. So for instance, in the pet world, we're taking the typical trashy dry food that's very high in sugar, and then manufacturers are adding uh, medium chain triglycerides, uh, MCTs to the food and calling it a ketogenic food. Well, of course it's yeah. not. It's a high starch food with MCTs. Yeah. So c- can you touch on some of the pitfalls that both pet parents and, uh, and you know, are, are falling into for their pets, but also for themselves when they hear about ketogenic diets?
1: Well, my comments are more related to omnivores like dogs and cats, which are true carnivores, and and probably. And I haven't studied cats, uh, but my guess is they don't need many carbohydrates at all. You would be right. a better expert at that. So, but with with uh, omnivores like humans, um, the, my experience in the mistakes that people make is that people understand clearly they need to limit carbohydrates. It's a low carb, high fat diet. The more common mistake is that people can. Continue this indefinitely beyond a few months. And that's where it becomes dangerous because uh, we do need healthy carbohydrates, uh, no question, primarily for our gut microbiome and to feed, our, feed it. But the, the challenge is, is if you think low carbs or if you think carbohydrates are evil and you start avoiding them continuously, you could get along, but you will not thrive. It's not optimum health. And I certainly made that mistake and I see a lot of people making it.
2: Would you expand on your definition of carbohydrates, Dr. Margulay? That's another issue, is people people are putting kale in the same category as corn and rice.
1: Well, there's a confusion in, about the carbs. I mean whether you use total carbohydrates or net carbs. In either case, typically non-starchy vegetables like kale uh uh, would be very low in carbohydrates, You'd have to, it's like almost physically impossible to get too many carbs by just eating those types of vegetables. So, But there are great tools on the market uh, that would work equally well for pets that uh, my favorite is chronometer.com, it's uh, like the time C-R-O-N-O meter.com, it's free and you could enter a food there and it will tell you how many carbohydrates, how much protein, how much fat, it's a really elegant tool and as long as you accurately measure the food that you're entering it will tell you to the 10th of a gram how much there is so there's no confusion and it's a you know it's something that you don't have to do continuously but at least when you're engaging initially that you can understand what your reference points are
0: so so Dr. Marcola in the pet space where we're at right now. Of course, we filmed this documentary. It's called the Dog Cancer Series. And I think when it, now you're seeing uh, primarily that if your dog has cancer, uh, ketosis becomes uh, the word for you. This is where you should really pay attention. Do you see benefit in healthy animals, let's say, or healthy humans, let's say, uh, putting themselves into this metabolic state of ketosis?
1: Oh, there's no question. And you mentioned autophagy. Autophagy is a word that many people aren't familiar with, but it, uh, it simply breaks down to auto means self and phagos meaning eat. So basically, you're eating cells. Now, why would you want to do that? Well, because at some point, cells, uh, many cells become senescent. And what is a senescent cell? That is a cell that is aged typically and damaged so that it stops having the capacity to reproduce effectively essentially just clogs up the machinery, machinery bio, biology, providing no benefit to you. It's just, it's just garbage that hasn't been taken out. And you can imagine if your garbage man didn't show up for a few months, well, it's going to be a disaster. And similarly, it's a disaster in, in your, in your body. So when you engage in, uh, disciplines like, um, uh, cyclical ketogenesis and intermittent fasting and even long, uh, multi-day water fast, you activate your body's ability to to uh, engage in autophagy. And interestingly, that whole process, too, also improves mitochondrial function, and it's your mitochondria. I mean, most people have studied it in biology understand that mitochondria is responsible, responsible for reducing the energy currency of your cell, otherwise known as ATP. But they have another important function, and one of that is just to catalyze autophagy. If your mitochondria are dysfunction, as they are in most people and pets with cancer, then you can't activate autophagy, and some of those damaged cells that autophagy is taking care of are cancer cells. So that's why it's so critical. It is really uh, a magnificent part of the natural design that we are, we're designed to have, because we all have cancers. All of your pets have cancer cells. It's, it's not unusual. What is unusual when it gets out of control, when you're typically uh, and pets, they're fed these. I mean, they make the human diets look good, and the human diets are bad. We have 80% of the population that has insulin resistance, which is the core of almost all chronic degenerative disease. And pets, I'm sure it's worse. I don't have the stats, but well, you cannot feed uh, a pet 60, 70% sugar day in and day out and not expect metabolic disaster.
0: Uh, So my favorite interview, of course, was Dr. Thomas Seafried. I mean, this man literally came through the camera. Uh, One of the most fascinating things that he really put in perspective to me is how much do you actually have to feed your pet? I mean, today, pet owners, we know that 60% of pets right now around in North America are obese, so are humans, but always the biggest fear, Dr. Mercola, for the pet parent is, well, my dog is hungry. So, you know, he's Mm -hmm. standing by the treat bowl, he's standing by the refrigerator, he's scratching at his bowl, so I have to feed him. Of course, he's hungry, and, how much do I have to feed my dog or don't I have to feed my dog Till there's a big problem? And this is what Dr. Thomas Seafried highlighted to me. He told me the
3: story of a dog named Oscar. So they took this dog called Oscar from the farm, brought him into the, into the lab, and they said, how long can a dog go without eating? And what they did was they measured down uh, uh, muscles, and then you could start to see the dog was starving. So when they started to get a rise in the urea, they said, okay, he's starting to starve, uh, and we stopped the experiment. So the dog at 40 days or 45 days the first Oscar he came in and did this experiment water only for 45 and then they started to see the the metabolites from muscle breakdown and said stop the experiment so they sent the dog back to the farm for a year they get the dog, comes back into the lab to see if they could repeat the experiment with the thinking with the thinking that you'd start to see the urea sooner than 40-some-odd 40, 40 days. The, the dog did not even start to express the molecules for 103 days, and they just seemed to stop the experiment. And at, at 100 and some days, he was able to jump over the three-foot fence to get into his cage. They stopped the experiment. They didn't know how long he could live. So he adapted to this starvation. These dogs can go tremendous distance. And, and run and look healthy and people say, "Oh, that's so cruel. What it proves is the adaptability of the assist of, the, of your system to survive without food. It just goes to show you how powerful our bodies are. and these kinds of things have been done by Gandhi and all these other people. You can go long time without eating any food. Our bodies are super su- supreme in adapting to this.
0: Your animal is not going to die if you don't feed them for a few hours or even for a day.
1: Well, the converse is even more important. Not only will they not die, if you fail, if you fail to implement a fasting protocol, you will prematurely cut short their life. Guaranteed, no question about it. They were designed to fast, and if you deny that from them because you think somehow they're hungry, you are going to prematurely kill them.
2: There are some species that cannot fast, like horses, cows, yeah, goats. Yeah, yeah. There's some animals that need to be eating all the time, but right. carnivores are Carnivore.
0: not one or of omnivores. those
2: species. Yeah. yeah, omnivores or carnivores, and people will argue whether dogs are omnivores or carnivores. And this situation doesn't even matter. They are well equipped to fast.
1: So greatly appreciate your time, effort, and energy, and commitment to putting the. Uh, resources in to compile this information in this documentary because I'm really confident it's going to change the pet world and save many pets lives
0: and thank you so much Dr. Mercola for bringing me on here and Dr. Becker for the invite uh, and thank you for uh, dropping some knowledge for some much-needed knowledge into the pet world
1: you're welcome